Welcome to Bound the Context. I'm your host, Ryan Shriver. Today with me, I have Anjanette LaBelle. Welcome to the program, Anjanette. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to see you, Ryan. Absolutely. So Anjanette's a co-founder of BankShift. So tell us a bit about what you're doing and tell us a little bit about your organization. Sure. So ShiftSense is actually the company and we produce a product uh, called BankShift. And it was built around uh, the needs of multi-banked consumers. So I was inspired by uh, you know, my work in the industry. I have 25 years experience in the financial services industry, uh, working for financial institutions and large enterprises. And um, you know, it, those companies are very focused on the relationships that they have with their customers, but that's not the end of the customer. That's not when the customer ends. And so I found it personally frustrating to have uh, bank accounts with multiple financial institutions and going through the process fatigue of having to go to different apps and having to remember which one could transfer where or having to set up a, you know, a transfer capability, enter routing and transit numbers, like all of that I found extremely frustrating as a consumer. And so I felt like the time uh, was right. And uh, with the open banking, the emergence of Plaid as kind of an interface or broker of, of financial data, um, you know, seeing Coinbase come up as a, you know, crypto wallet emerging on order to manage, you know, yet another form of currency that you have yeah. accounts potentially with. And so really, we built BankShift uh, to pull together all of those banking relationships and all of those accounts that you have already. Uh, There's a a lot of um, open an account here and I'll make these services available to you. And we really just wanted to make those services available to anybody with any account and um, not really affect who they're banking with or who their holdings are with. Uh, So, you know, that was kind of the inspiration behind BankShift was to make it easy. I think that in the market, there's a lot of confusion with, um, you know, personal financial managers. If you think like Mint or personal capital, they do a lot of this today, leveraging the same networks of pulling all your data together. However, they don't let you really do anything with your accounts. So you get all of this great information and you get, uh, you know, this consolidated pane of glass. And then you get this chart that is overwhelming about where you are or how (laughs) you feel like you're doing right financially. And it's, it's overwhelming. It's anxiety inducing and you can't take any action. (laughs) So then you've got to go and work through how to make these things happen um, with your accounts. And I, I felt like with my experience, if I was frustrated that there were other consumers out there was frustrated that were frustrated as well. Uh, my co-founder was one of them. So uh, Bankshift was, was born. And uh, the idea is that you don't have to open a new checking account or savings account or switch banks or make a deposit with us because we're not a financial institution. We're not motivated to have you hold our money with anyone. Uh, you know, have you hold your money with anyone? That's not that's not our gig. Our gig is really just to help you manage your money, help you see all of your assets, help you move money between them and, and shuffle things around and pay, make payments and do all the things that you need to be able to do with those accounts. What types of problems yeah. do you find yourself solving 
I mean, you mentioned the customer sort of experience and frustration seems like it, but what kinds of problems do you find yourself solving in this sort of space? So I think it's interesting. Uh, I've got a lot of enterprise experience and big companies that have been, um, you know, Fortune 500 and, and, you know, have been going out there and doing all of this marketing. I think that marketing a new startup was new for me. It's something that um, I've had to learn my way through and, you know, getting the word out is uh, is really an important part of starting a business from the ground up Greenfield. This uh, has been a tremendous learning experience <laughs> for me. I've done Greenfield software development projects before, but, uh, yeah. you know, from the ground up is really uh, a different type of problem. And, you know, I thought it was interesting too, that when, you know, looking at our CICD or software practices that um, because of our size, we don't have some of the scale problems that need to be addressed uh, in CICD pipelines at large enterprises. And it reduces our complexity a lot um, in that we're able to introduce what we need to without solving for, again, some of those concerns that only come with the level of scale that you get to with these enterprises. So I think that was a, uh, that was a nice, a nice bonus, right? Is, is yeah. seeing a little bit of that, uh, that, that reduction of complexity. So, so as you, you know, and you've got a, a strong background. We first met when we were doing software development, you got a strong background in sort of software engineering development all the way up through architecture. That's how our paths cross, you know, as you find yourself going from that to sort of starting a new business, what do those skills kind of carry over and then translate? And then maybe what are some of the new, you mentioned news and marketing, but what are those, some of those skills that you found from a software engineering or software architecture perspective that has sort of translated um, into you and your new company? Absolutely. I, there's so much that applied, right? There's so much learning that I have to do, but there's so much of my existing experience that I've been able to apply directly or indirectly to this space. Um, even just thinking about the board and the components that we need as we're assembling the board and thinking about those things, you know, in the same way that I would think about architecture to say, okay, well, we need to have kind of, you know, this bounded context, somebody that really knows this, this area of the industry or this area of the market or somebody who has experience building and growing fintech companies or, you know, sorting those things out. Um, there's a lot of patterns and, and I've kind of made a career of doing that translation, right? I started in automotive technology. And, you know, basically working on cars when they were first adding, um, you know, central processing units to cars and automated sensors and adjusting the runtime of the engine as it was running down the road, right? <laughs> so, you know, in, I was able to translate all of that very directly to software engineering because you don't realize that, you know, as you're driving down the car, that you're driving a massive enterprise technology level <laughs> set of interfaces and components and contracts and expectations. And so I think, um, you know, I, again, I've been able to take and do some of the same things here and look at, okay, how can we build uh, bank shift in order to make sure that, you know, we're kind of keeping things clean and componentized so that it gives us the opportunity to continue to partner. Um, and I think that making some of those choices up front uh, was really important for us, right? Uh, as we were going forward, because you don't want to 
um, you know, start so short-sighted and so small, and you've got such pressure to get something to market, right, and take advantage of, of momentum as you're getting it, that, you know, you really need to take a step back and, and kind of look across these things and make sure that you're not going to lock yourself in from an architecture perspective in a way that is not going to be flexible. And so my experience with domain-driven design, um, I, I had a great experience in my career being trained directly by Eric Evans in uh, domain-driven design, and then um, you know also worked with Werner. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. And so you know, like I, I was able to take that domain-driven design and look at what things we wanted to entangle. Uh, and what things we didn't, what things were crucial for us to leave open-ended so that we could extend uh, some of those features. And I always loved Eric's metaphor, right, for flexibility versus, you know, what you build rigid. And he he said, you know, think of a, of a leather glove, like a motorcycle glove, right? That glove has to provide protection, right? If you're, if you're riding that motorcycle or doing whatever, it needs to provide protection for your hands but your hands still need to be able to operate. And so there are points at which you have to have uh, the right flexibility. And there are points that really need to have rigid structure. And so I think that, you know, we, we made some decisions about how we laid it out so that um, we can have that flexibility for some of the goals and aspirations for the product going forward. Awesome, awesome. And bonus points for using down the context, by the way. Check on that one. Uh, <laughs> so, so walk us through. Yeah, you know, it's actually funny. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Um, I, I, or when I said it, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> so, Anjanette, you, you, you bring that sort of architecture background the way you think. Walk us through, walk our audience through when you're presented with a problem, like either building a whole brand new platform, like what's your kind of methodology? Like, what do you start? What do you do first? What do you do second? Like, walk our listeners through kind of how you go about breaking that problem down. I want to understand the desired customer experience um, or like what we want the customer to feel right as they're going through whatever it is that we're trying to build or accomplish. Um, you know, sometimes that can be unclear. And, you know, when I say customer, sometimes that customer is the end customer. Sometimes that customer is, you know, the business, but really understanding uh, what the objective is and what success looks like and what that delight in that customer experience is gonna look like. Um, because I feel like the tools and the technology that we use to solve a problem, um, they're so vast. There's so many things that you could use to solve the problem. Understanding the problem and understanding what the outcome is, not prescribed solutions. Um, the desired outcome, I think, gives you the flexibility to uh, build an architecture that's actually going to serve that potentially even better than whatever the uh, predictions were or the forethought was to say this is what it's going to be. Um, so that's kind of, you know, I want to understand kind of the big picture or the end in mind. Uh, that's really where I start. And then from there, I feel like everything kind of ties back to that single source of truth. And sharing the context of what we're actually trying to accomplish will sometimes interrupt the design and development if everybody understands it well, right? You'll be designing and developing something, it will be evolving a little bit, and then everybody sees it as it gets off course, right? 
So I think uh, sharing that context with the team, making sure that they all understand what we're after, and then working to iteratively, iteratively allow the architecture to kind of emerge. Um, because I think that their architecture, uh, the best analogy that I've ever heard for architecture, and uh, I wish I could recall the person who did this talk, was uh, an analogy for hurricane forecasting and architecture. And the analogy was such that in, in architecture, you kind of have this cone of uncertainty, right? You know you're going to hit, you're coming out of the Gulf, right? You know you're going to hit the Southeast coastline, but there's this, you know, 400-mile swath of uncertainty. And then as you get closer and as you get closer, you start to actually narrow down and hone in, right? And, and sometimes you got to adjust where you're headed. You know, you may learn something. Uh, you know, so, I, it, you know, the, the weather analogy and the hurricane analogy specifically from New Orleans, uh, that's where I'm from. It, it means a lot to me. Uh, but he went further in this analogy to say that you've got all of these weather data uh, points that are coming in that are helping you hone that in and use the analogy of your technical leads and your software engineers kind of being those data points you know, kind of being those weather stations that are helping you understand what's going on and giving you feedback about whether or not your predictions are accurate and whether or not you're really going to land where you think you are. So I think that um, that's the exciting process for me. That's the part of software engineering that I absolutely love um, and that keeps me in this business is that evolution and that kind of, you know, guiding it to where we think we want to be and getting that rolling in feedback so that we can see how close that cone of uncertainty really is and, and see it start to narrow as we're delivering something, delivering something. It, what's interesting, a common theme that we see, and you've echoed it too, is even though we're in the technical business of sort of software and architecture, one, start with the people, start with who's impacted, and then work through sort of what, what's your outcome? What are you trying to do before we get into all the fun stuff of architecture and design. And, and that's something I've had to learn in my career, right? When I was young, I immediately just gravitated to go build the things, right? And then it takes time to experience to say, well, we can build anything we want. Let's go back and talk about what problem are we really solving? What people are impacted by that problem? Yeah. You know, what are we trying to achieve? And then we get into sort of, you know, the, the architecture and those sort of things. And it sounds like your, your career is taking a little bit of a similar um, sort of path. Maybe you were more intuitive on that stuff earlier than, than I was, but it sounds like it's been on a, a bit of that path. Um, I was lucky because uh, I'm working for Hibernia National Bank, uh, you know, around the year 2000, you know, actually uh, ahead of Y2K, right? We had something called Vision 2000. And it was interesting for me because uh, what they were looking for was a single key to the bank or some customer, um, you know, entry data point that they could use to identify a customer and all of their relationships. And here we are 25 years later and McKenzie is still writing about 360 degree views and single source of truth for customers. So I feel like sometimes um, it's not just experience, right? I'm sure that within the last six months, somebody has walked up to you and said, hey, I think I need a database and I think I need this technical yeah. solution and I think that I need whatever. And, you know, and it, it's not necessarily directly related 
um, from a technical perspective as to what it is that they're trying to accomplish and what they're in in mind. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, people still people still fall uh, into the trap, right? Of I gotta hurry up and get something done, um, you know, and and uh, it's that's or, that's a tough one. It's a tough or, or 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 we're gonna do it on Lambda and Kubernetes. What problem you solve? We're gonna do it on Lambda and Kubernetes, right? We got we gotta we gotta find a way to, to plug in that cool technology. Um, so who have been? That's right. You, that's right. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned uh, Eric Evans. You mentioned on, on the main driven side. Who have been some of your other influences uh, along the way, both in career and maybe even outside of career? Who have been some of the folks that influenced your sort of progression? So I think uh, I worked with uh, Bob Martin very early on in my career as a software engineer. Um, actually, I believe in, in about '99, maybe just after 2000, and I uh, was a uh, a lead software engineer um, and a leading the technology and architecture in an online servicing space, and we did um, we did extreme programming training. And the approach to that uh, that Bob took and the transformation to migrate us from waterfall into agile. Because it was extreme programming, it was focused very much on the software engineering and it changed my discipline as a software engineer. Like it changed my outcome, it changed my perspective on automation. Um, and I think that having that influence early in my career uh, was very helpful. Um, I, I think Bob was probably a little frustrated with how long it took me to make the transition because I think I was uh, I was not a supporter for probably six weeks, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a bit of a character. <laughs> and when he did my one day, uh, I, yeah, we in order to prove a point about refactoring, um, that was that was that was an interesting learning experience for me early in my career. So, so you mentioned Bob. Has there been any other folks that have been sort of influential in helping you sort of, um, yeah, progress? My goodness, there's been so many. Uh, you know, I think about like Julie Elberfeld, uh, who was the diversity um, chair at Capital One for a good while. Um, the the folks at A Cloud Guru have just like they've just been fun to watch. They've been great to work with, and they've been great to. Um, you know, kind of get to know them, uh, but just to watch what they've been able to accomplish and to hear their serverless story as they were coming out and, and bringing on uh, serverless uh, in, in a very meaningful way uh, to the skill set development. Um, it was it was really that was very inspirational. And I had also worked through um I had worked with a little bit of the Alexa Skills Champions and AWS as a diversity uh, speaker for AWS. And I met some of the most amazing people, like the most amazing people, all archetypes that were just running and gunning in their communities and helping, you know, kids understand serverless and children writing Alexa skills and, you know, programs like, you know, RV8 code and texters and, you know, some of these other things where, you know, I'm watching people make a difference right there in front of my face, right? That, that is just, um, it's, it's amazing to see. It's amazing to experience. 
Um, so, you know, hats off to, to um, you know, iCloud Guru and, and some of those folks that have been so supportive of me and others uh, over the years with, you know, a variety of skill transitions that we've leveraged them to, to help make. Um, you know, and, and hats off to the women who cloud and to, yeah. you know, the, the folks that are working to change the face of what a kid thinks when they hear software engineer. I think yeah. that's so incredibly important. Outside of work, um, I love uh, Allison Levine. If you've ever heard her story, she's, um, she's a, a mountain climber and um, that was very inspirational for me because that was um, my, that's, that's my method of fitness is hiking and climbing when I can. And, you know, so uh, she has a, an amazing story, but what I love about her story is that she turned back with an all woman team near the, the top of Everest. Right. And at dinner parties with executives, when somebody would introduce her, oh, this is Allison, she took the Ford Expedition team up to Everest and, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, did you make it to the top? <laughs> <laughs> and she said she felt so defeated because she had to say no. <laughs> Almost. And so, like, it, it just goes, uh, I think that, that that whole story for me uh, just reminds me that we always have that nagging doubt that what we accomplished wasn't enough or that what we did wasn't enough. Um, and that even people who make it to near the top of Everest have that too. <laughs> so I, it's a very, she's got a very relatable and inspiring story. She went on to use her passions for mountain climbing to enable um, women in tribal villages that supported the, the mountains uh, to teach them to climb and to teach them uh, how to be, Orders on the mountain and how to how to how to get paid. <laughs> wow! Uh, so she she went on enabling women uh, all around the world, and uh, I think it's that for me. Like it gives me chills just even telling the story. Right that that she walked into these places where the women were never expected to do anything more than you know be in the village and take care of the children and they were strong women and they were capable women and she demonstrated that and then they were supporting their families that's awesome so, that's uh, all amazing amazing inspirational change that's awesome what and you know <laughs> i think about 2020 and i don't know that anybody's going to sit around and go wow 2020 that's a year i missed right but i think back on 2020 and so much change, right? So much change in the way that uh, the, the country thought, the way the country behaved, uh, a mental health test for everyone and awareness for everyone, um, you know, and it, I, I was inspired by, you know, the people that were coming forth and that were speaking up and that were, you know, looking for a way to be heard. Um, and I think that, you know, although, 2020 was a, a very, very tough year and a tough experience. I think that it has resulted in a, um, in a different conversation and that's yeah. some amount of progress and that gives me hope, right? Yeah, for certain. You mentioned progress, you know, it's when I came into the industry, first of all, this is pre-internet. So only people doing computers were people who worked in basements of, of buildings, like sort of tucked away. And then I remember the first time I went to work for an um, internet startup in 95, 
And I remember the first time I saw a television commercial with a URL. I'm like, oh my goodness, like the web. You know, and I would explain to my parents what I did and they were like, you work with computers, right? But, but when I looked around, it was a lot of people like me, right? That was just sort of the face of it. And we've made, I think, big strides. We're not, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not nearly there yet, but I think I've noticed in the last, to your uh-huh. point, the last at least five to 10 years we're making, or we're trying to make, even as an industry, bigger strides towards more inclusion, more diversity. Um, we still have a long way to go, but I have seen it um, sort of move the ball forward. And you're one of the early people that I knew personally who was, in, who was more passionate and, and involved in that than, than many people. And so from your vantage point, do you see us making progress? I mean, how far do you think we've come and how far do you think we, we, we still have to go? I think that uh, it's never done. Um, and so I think that uh, the progress that we've made, um, it, it's polarizing, right? And so unfortunately, the disruption that we kind of all felt through those couple of, you know, last couple of months, couple of years, like, um, you know, the, the, the conversations uh, that are awkward getting out there into the ether and uh, taking place, it's uncomfortable. And the fact that it's uncomfortable makes me believe that we're getting somewhere, right? The first time you do something, it's always uncomfortable. Yeah. The first two, three times, right? It may still be uncomfortable, but then eventually we get better at it. And so I feel like um, the... I feel like there's there's huge signs of progress, but that empathy and understanding of uh, human beings as human beings is paramount yeah. to all of this, and that's that's a long ways. That's a long ways because I I I don't necessarily ascribe to gender stereotypes. Um, you know, while I I. I look a certain way and you know people may make certain assumptions about me I I'm not a I'm not a shopper um, I'm a former auto mechanic who still likes to get my hands into physical engineering projects and you know doing fun things and um, so I don't believe that because I'm a certain gender or a certain religion or ethnicity that that necessarily means that I fit a certain mold and um, I think more people need to share that sentiment, that these traits, these things that we think of as, as gender specific, um, I've seen them in everyone. <laughs> I've seen them in, in a whole uh, spectrum of, of gender. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't really ascribe to that whole um, you know, gender-based meaning yeah. or, or assumptions. Um, and I, I think that kids, and I think that our society needs to see all sorts of people, uh, and to, in order to stop, they need to to know that the people on the internet aren't in dark basements. You know, in the nineties. I think the first time I surfed the internet was to um, was to get a job for uh, providing internet services. Wow. Yeah, and I did it to brush up my resume. So. Uh, so, like hey, that. I dad, I learned this internet thing. We've been playing with, like, can we talk? Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 yeah. Probably even, that, that, that probably even predates um, Monster. Remember those? Remember the, the Monster? One of those early kind of 
Yeah, well, people went out there. It's a brand new thing. Yeah, completely. Yahoo, like the brand new. We were still using, you know, modems and and yeah, yeah. It was that was way back in the day. Not that old, yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not not say anything at all. I, I still remember the Altavista search engine um, from my early days. So, uh, well, cool. So, as, as we wrap up, what are some of the lessons? So, you you've got a you've got a really great established career as a software engineer, architect. Now you pivoted. Now you're a co-founder of a technology platform company. What are some of those lessons that you've kind of picked up along the way? How would you distill down some of those lessons? Um, yeah, for our audience, what do you think? Always reserve the right to get smarter. Uh, that was that's that's just kind of my agile lesson. That's what agile means to me uh, in evolving software and technology. Uh, take your best guess and make a choice. Keep it simple. Move forward, and always reserve your right to get smarter. I, I feel like the industry wastes a lot of time talking about what to do next, um, and they could have had information radiators coming back to them in that amount of time they can just move forward. Um, so I feel like there's, uh, you know, it's software. No, no, um, it's software because it's malleable. And sometimes yeah. I think we forget that. We can put in the fact that it's done or it's complete or that we've completed a service and, um, you know, un unraveling it to, uh, you know, to, to make some adjustment uh, is sometimes encumbered by the urgency to make that adjustment and so i i think that uh, technical debt accumulates as a result and i like to hold on to that right to get smarter change my mind and switch things around a little bit yeah. if we need to um the other thing that has been really important to me um and i think that it's part of what fueled my diversity and inclusion journey as far as um you know, participating in my communities and working with uh, women in tech and, and um, some of the skills work, the training work that I've done. Uh, I think that those types of um, audiences would benefit from a little bit of, well, I feel like I'm kind of warming off on this and this isn't really, we'll start over a little bit on where I'm headed with this. Um, let me see how I can how I can break it down. What is this all about? Um, it's about best way I can explain it is is that my dad and my parents both actually uh, were confident of my capabilities long before I was. And as I went out and faced the world, I was instilled with that confidence, and that's the reason why the world didn't beat me. Right. And in doing so, like my dad shared early on with me uh, a quote, I believe it's by Eleanor Roosevelt, and it is, um, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And really taking that in uh, was a process for me early on, and it's something that I have had to reflect on a couple of times in my career, because um, I, when I live true to that, um, I'm a lot better able to face the conversations that have not matured in our industry. And I'm better able to face those things that do cause friction 
and resolve them in a way uh, that I think is is meaningful and that builds relationships. And um, I will, I, I think that's something that I will always take with me from my parents and has given me strength in times where I'm really facing adversity or really facing something that's challenging or I really am learning and don't know what I'm doing yet, right? Um, so I think that, that that's been an important one for me. Um, I feel like this is, hmm, this is a harder question than I, yeah. I think I expected. I thought I had a couple, and then I was like, no. What's up, Bob? No, I was going to say, Angela, I've known you a while, and from the very first time I met you, you had confidence and you weren't willing, you didn't take shit off anybody and you, and you told it like it is. And I, and I was like, who is this person? But you're, you're right. I remember, I, I remember our early days, we talked about software engineering and you, you instinctively got it, but you had a lot of confidence in terms of, of that one. And yeah. it came across. And I, and I think that it's, it's a, you're right. It's a great trait. Having that confidence, whether it comes from your parents or the way you raised, having that confidence early on instilled in you gives you sort of that propulsion that, that carries you through things and so i think that i can very much see it uh, now and, and i see it evolve but um make it kind of thing and i think that that's that's where people go astray is uh you know there are times where i have felt inferior in the room i've been in the room with phds and ceos and you know people that are at the top of their game and you know just had major funded companies and and all this fun stuff and so there are times that, you know, I've, I've looked and said, no, I've, I've not accomplished as much as these folks, and I need to humble myself when I listen. Um, so I think that confidence without that awareness isn't helpful either, right? It's like, yeah. um, you know, the toxic positivity, right? We're just all going to think hard and think happy thoughts, and we're not really <laughs> going to do anything about it. So I think that the consent thing and understanding that when other people did something that made me feel bad about myself understanding that i was a party to that mm. and that i could stop being a party to that <laughs> uh was a, a huge uh shift for me cool. right, we're gonna wrap up with the most important questions what are you listening to these days <laughs> Um, so I listen to Amazon music and I like to do like the new inspiration and hear a bunch of different, um, artists and things that Amazon, uh, picks for me. It kind of reminds me of Stitch Fix for my music. Okay. Um, and then you know, they give me recommendations. Uh, so a couple of things off maybe my latest. Uh, album is um, there's an Amazon original uh, group called Metronomy, I believe, and they do a song called Up Higher that's like really uplifting. And then there's another song called I Just Want to Shine by Fits and the Tantrums. Oh, yeah, Fits and, and the Tantrums. And I have never heard it before. They came up one time and it has become my theme song uh, lately. So uh, I listen to a lot of happy, inspirational music and a lot of classic rock. Uh, with my sons, that's what we can agree upon these days. And um, but when I'm when I'm in the zone and when I am ready to sit and you know just knock something out, uh, I always prefer a little bit of techno dance music. I don't know what it is. It 
Uh, maybe it's just the consistency of the beats of some of the tune my brain wavelengths in. Uh, so I'll listen to a couple of uh, podcasts. I've been a big follower of Tiesto's podcast tune on tune for a long time. Tune for a long time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Around that house, fits in the tantrums is something our kids and us can all agree on. There's a handful of music that we all agree on. It's like anthem stuff, right? Like it's, yeah. it's like soul yeah. anthems, like soul yeah. anthems. Completely, completely. <laughs> so, Angela, I really want to thank you for coming on the program. I appreciate your time, and I'm so happy to see where you're headed. I'm so excited about your new your new product and your new company, and we can't wait to see uh, what, what happens next. All right. Thanks, Lynn. See ya. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate right. it.